the Farm Advisory Service podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government. Hello and welcome to this Farm Advisory Service podcast. You're joined by me, Alec Perry, on behalf of the Farm Advisory Service. And today we're going to be discussing slurry management and application with Hugh McClement from the Royal Crichton. Hi there, Hugh. How's it going? Ah, it's going fine, Alex. Yep. A damp, a damp day here in Dumfriesshire. I don't know what it's like uh, where you are at the moment. It's uh, it's pretty grey here in air, but um, it's, it's the middle of December. So what can you expect? Seasonal. It's seasonal. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good yeah. word for it. Yeah. Yep. Hugh, for the, the listeners, we're going to be discussing slurry management and application here, but, but for the listeners, can you give a kind of brief overview of what your role is um, at the Crichton and as a farm manager? Certainly, Alex. Uh, just for the for those listening in, my name's Hugh McClymont. Uh, my title is Farms Manager for the South and West. Here, uh, I am responsible for Crichton Royal Farm, which carries about 430 dairy cows, high-yielding dairy cows, and, and a, around circa about 370 dairy young stock, anything from a baby calf up to a two-year-old calving heifer. I'm also responsible for, in addition to that, a barony farm now, which carries around 600, sorry, about 220 high-yielding dairy cows and about 170 dairy young stock. In addition to that, about 550 a low-ground mule ewe flock there too. Like. So that's the livestock enterprises which uh, generate, the, the, sorry, the cows do generate a lot of milk, but in addition to that, they also generate quite a lot of uh, material which we're going to talk about, Alex. So you're a busy man, Hugh. Some folks think I am and others think I could do more. So I'll say no more <laughs> than that. Like, you know, Alex. Yeah, you're, you're kept on your toes. And yeah, like any farmer these days, we seem to get more and more to do. And, and it's, it's been put upon everybody in the industry. But you're either, if you're in it, you've got to, you've got to abide by the rules and, and keep going forward and, and, and do what's necessary to, for, for all the benefits there, right? for sure. Yep. That's it. Absolutely. Hugh, farmers are coming under increasing pressure to, to minimise and eliminate practices in agriculture that are contributing to, to climate change. And uh, I wanted to talk a little bit with you about uh, slurry and the, the perceived transition away from the use of splash plates for slurry application. What's, uh, what's your, your feelings on that and what are the opportunities that that, that could potentially present? Well, as I said earlier in that, in that opening uh, statement, uh, we produce a lot of a lot of milk, but but in, a, in addition to that, we produce a lot of uh, waste material, which has always been the name for for slurries and and, and muck. We're, we're we're dealing with a liquid uh, fraction here, which is it tends to be slurry. It isn't a waste. I use that word there very glibly. This is a a, a resource on your farm, and to make the best use of that resource. One should be applying it at the at the optimum time for the growing crop to to make use of it, and a method of application should be now nowadays the modern farmer should be moving in a direction to minimise the losses from this nutrient resource. And yes, for since I was a boy, and that was wasn't yesterday, we've been using slurry tankers, and we continue to use slurry tankers. It's not a very efficient way of of a, a 
did I say moving a, a liquid material about? But but in some situations, it, it it is the only way because due to logistics and whatever else. But we've always traditionally blasted the material out of a vacuum tanker under pressure against a metal splash plate and, and actually put it in the air. And obviously the, by that, it, it's the aerosol effect. And a lot of that uh, ammonia is now being lost to the to the atmosphere, to the environment, and dare I say, not to being absorbed by the growing crop. Over time, we have looked at now looking at downward-facing uh, splash plates, but still we do get this volatilization or, 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 or aerosol effect. And I think there are many other now new opportunities out there for us all to embrace and look at to get the best from this material that we have to handle, not daily on, a, on, a, on, a, on an intensive dairy farm, but, but certainly at the right times of year for the growing crop to, to make use of. Okay. Yeah, yeah no, definitely. And Hugh, the, the Sustainable Agriculture Capital Grant has been very popular recently. In fact, as we record this, many farmers may be receiving their, their approval letters for the scheme. The, uh, the scheme covered various different pieces of kit um, that, uh, that were receiving support funding to encourage farmers to transition away from splash plates. These included trailing shoes, injectors, dribble bars, do you have any thoughts on the effectiveness of, of these various pieces of kit, um, particularly for farmers out there who might um, be uh, required to, to, to use them in the future? Yeah, I've had uh, quite a bit of experience over the years of probably all those pieces of kit that, that, that you mentioned there, uh, Alex. Uh, yes, uh, and, and likewise, uh, whether you're an individual farmer doing all your own work yourself for a variety of reasons, but if you do uh, watch what, and, and, and some farmers do engage, like I do occasionally, engage with contractors, they have a lot of this kit already in, in, in use, and, and, and dare I say, uh, experienced operators. Uh, all these this pieces of kit that you uh, you mentioned, the trailing shoe injectors and, and, and dribble bars, all work but there's a degree of management needed there uh, for, for these equipments because you're now no longer forcing the, the, the material out of the... If you're going to use a tanker with one of these bolted on the back, you, you have to get the liquid out of there, but it has to go through what we call a macerator, and that then gives you an even application, punching equal amounts down to each dropper on the, on the spray bar. And again, that needs to be a well-mixed sample, if you've got a lot of high dry matter slurry, i.e. thick slurry, you can choke these up and then you get a, a, a poor application. So, again, a bit of, a, bit of a, a degree of management pre-operational that you, your, your material is well mixed for getting out to, to go through the system and make a, a more effective spread and, and, and ultimately the crop will benefit from that. If you are like we are now, predominantly more, uh, and have been for a long number of years now, uh, using uh, pipeline systems like umbilicals. Again, that's testament to that. You do need a well-mixed sample to produce a material that has to be of a certain dry matter uh, through the pipeline, and equally so when it when it gets to the end of the pipe and onto the, onto the trailing shoe, the injector, or the dribble bar to get through this macerator. These machines, these, these, this Peter kit, this macerator, which is basically just a revolving Peter kit that forces material into each one of the, the portholes, which goes down a dropper pipe along the fixed beam. It doesn't like 
solid material or very high dry matter material and it chokes up and then someone has to clear that and that is not the most what would you say pleasant of jobs because then you're right at the sharp end of of handling that so my key message to there is it's it's it has to be it can't it can all work but it has to be managed appropriately and it's not it has to be a, a dare i say a well-trained operator on how you would get the best out of these pieces of kit but but using these pieces of kit you will maximize the nutrients going to the growing crop and less going into the atmosphere where then that's when we as, as any farmers get get the the name of being a i the, the bad people in society by creating these smells or such like if i remember right hugh i think the the idea or, or certainly the science behind it was that by increasing direct contact of slurry to, to the ground, as opposed to, to firing off into the air, the emissions um, cut from ammonia could be as much as, as 70 to, to 100%. Now, I'm a bit skeptical that, that you can cut emissions by 100%, but 70% but is, is no joke. That's a real improvement there. Um, a lot has been made to you of, um, of of separators, and, and you've talked a little bit about the importance of getting good consistency of your slurry if you're going to be applying it using these various methods. Is there anything that you would have liked to have seen covered in the Sustainable Agriculture Capital Grant that, that maybe wasn't? Well, you, you mentioned the word separators. I... Uh... Separators, I have a separator at Crichton. It's unfortunately, it's not in operation at the moment. Uh, again, it's going back to management. You need someone in your team that is capable of maintaining and operating that, that piece of kit. And uh, we're very much, as I said earlier in my introduction, a livestock, a, a dairy running farm. And yes, we have machinery-minded people, but... It is not the most pleasant pieces of kit because you're dealing right at the sharp end of, of a, a slurry being being put through either some form of mesh to separate the liquid out. But when you do that, the benefits are there, are very much achievable. And it's getting that to keep it operational all the time. And it is working with the foul material. But by separating the liquid from the from the solids, the solids can be stacked and transported easily in a trailer and used as FYM, whereas the liquid then lends itself very much so for all the pieces of kits we, that we, we, we discussed earlier, like your dribble bars, injectors, and, and, and trailing shoe, like, you know. So uh, separators, are they're not for everyone, would be my concerns uh, uh, on, on that one, Alex, like, you know. But uh, other things that, and I'll, I'll be quite honest, I thought technology is moving really fast in this world in the world of agriculture, and, and although some of us are, are still traditional in our ways of working, but there's a lot of boys out there, and some of the contractor boys have got this, and I would like to see it. It's like uh, I would like to see it in, in, included in the grant system for the for the uh, Sustainable Agricultural Capital Grant Scheme would have been the opportunity there to have on board uh, analyzers. There is, there is machinery out there, a technology out there now that you can plug in onto the line of your umbilical and have it on the on the dribble bar or on the injector where it will analyze the value of the slurry coming through and it's using the NIR technique and you know straight away the amount of nitrogen you're putting out and what's available in, in ammonium, a nitrate form and, and other nitrates and then all, more importantly your phosphate and your potash and it will also tell you the dry matter. 
Now, that at your fingertips with the right operator, wow, how we then can be more specific in how we apply our material. Because every farm is different. Every slurry is different. If you're producing slurry from 10,000 litre cows, that is far more uh, nutrient-rich compared to a slurry coming from a suckler cow or, a, or a, dare I say, a, a low-yielding six, 7,000-litre dairy cow. And it's the variables. But if you can test and apply that far more with far more precision, I think that will make you a far more efficient farmer and reduce the amount of, well, if you balance all that up, reduce the amount of purchased fertiliser to, to, for the crop needs. Minimising ammonia loss to, to the air has been a, a big achievement with pieces of kit like this. And, and we've talked a little bit about ammonia. Can you talk about the importance of understanding the other nutrients within your slurry and why they are so important? Yeah. Well, obviously, slurry consists of, what is it? It's it's a solid waste material come out the back of a, a bovine animal. I'm going to use the bovine here, but obviously uh, the 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 monogastics, the pig industry is exactly the same and, and whatever, but let's deal with, with, with cattle slurry here. It's solid material coming out uh, the rear end of an animal along with urine. And traditionally on dairy farms, there's, there's a bit of water from washings from parlours and, and from various other sources that mixes in to make this hopefully homogeneous material that we call slurry. But when you break that down and send that away to... SEC consulting or whatever to get, to get the understanding what's in the material, that's when you actually recognize the benefits. It's no longer a waste. And if you start looking at the costs associated with purchased fertilizers, be that in the shape of nitrate, uh, ammonium nitrates, or even urea, and that's another subject matter at the moment under, under the spotlight. But then phosphate and potash, traditionally we've always... We've always bought, our forefathers and our grandfathers bought 2010, 10, that's because they always bought it. But if you're applying and analyzing your slurry, you know you don't need to apply that because you know you're putting on the requirements because you know what's actually in your slurry by, by testing and analyzing it. So I think that anybody nowadays that's, well, obviously forward thinking enough to, to realize it's not a waste, it is a resource, analyze it. If you If you measure it, you can manage it. Does that make sense, Alec? Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. You've worked with a number of people within the, the industry over quite a period of time, Hugh. Have you seen that mentality shift? Have you seen that, that change in outlook of, of how we view slurring? Yes, very much so, very much so. And I don't want to, I don't want to band anything in this uh, podcast, uh, Alex, about individual organisations, but... Some of the, the, the major milk buyers are now starting to look at uh, what they call a Clean Air Act, and they are actually encouraging farmers to look at uh, jumping onto this here to, to minimise the amount of losses to the atmosphere and encouraging farmers to, to embrace all the technology. Now, that is that, uh, these are milk buyers that are actually looking at, but they're actually working on behalf of the next the end game, which is the consumer. The consumer wants to keep... The, the, the air quality down. We as an industry want to look after that, so we should be we should be buying into all of this. But it still has to be proven that, it's, that it is efficient. The figures that you quoted earlier, I think, are, goes a long, long way. But proof is always in the in in the, in the in the eating of the pudding. But if you actually apply it at the right time, 
onto the growing crop, you can see the benefits from this material once you know what's in it, if that makes sense. Yeah, and, and I think that particularly when we talk about ammonia, if you can make a 70% reduction in, in losses to the atmosphere by applying directly to, to, to the ground, that that is a, a, a tremendous win for, for okay, a, a quite a considerable capital investment, but um, a relatively straightforward thing to, to achieve. Yep. I would. I totally agree with. Totally agree with all of that, Alex. Like that's. But again, it's getting everyone to buy, and it's not for everyone. But we need to start, and it's. We need people to lead, and others will follow. And as I said earlier, uh, we we have certainly down here in the, in the, in, the, in the southwest, we have uh, contractors now embracing that, and I'm looking. I know farmers are now looking at that for the onboard an analysis or analyzer kit, so you know what you're doing, and then technology then will link to. If you've your field mapped and you know where your your nitrates is a different story, you, you have to maybe balance some of that through the, the application of chemical fertilizer there. But your P's and K's, if you know where your fields are hungry for that, you can actually start to be more specific in applications of that and not buy it through uh, through a bag and put it on in the in the in the sort of traditional way. Let's use your nutrients to maximum effect. Yes. Yeah. And we know that Scottish government have set some pretty ambitious climate change targets. It's interesting that you mentioned the, the general public there and public perception of farmers and in particular farmers of, of ruminant livestock um, and the associated methane that uh, that's entailed with that. There's a real drive to, to demonstrate forward thinking and sustainable practices. So uh, no, no, this is this is good stuff. Hugh, can, can you talk a little bit about um, how you judge at, at the, Crichton, the correct weather and ground conditions for when you apply slurry? Oh, gosh. Uh, that, that is, uh, I, well, common sense. <laughs> it's probably the first one you'd have to say in that one, Alex. Uh, yes, uh, you have to match, obviously, like anybody. Uh, the one area we don't have any control over and the day we get control over the rainfall coming from the heavens is, gosh, we'll have a, a, a mighty unrest across the whole of the, 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 the globe, I would say. But but what I'm trying to allude to there is we, we have no control over the amount of rainfall and, and the weather patterns. And, and, it, and, and nowadays the weather patterns are we're getting a periods of intense rainfall, which brings a lot. You need to be able to handle that. But the reason why I'm, I'm bringing that into this to answer that question to start with, Alex, is if that water falling from the skies eventually runs into your storage facilities, then you're adding more to your storage facilities. And if you've no good control of what is going in there, you need to make sure you've got adequate storage to allow for these events, if that's the case. And then... And then, obviously, uh, moving on, I, in an ideal world, going back to the, uh, and, I, and I say an ideal world, going back to uh, the nutrient bank, if you want to call it that now, it's, it's, it's nutrients, it's in the, in the tanks. And how do we get the best out of that? You apply that to a growing crop. Well, here we are, we touched on that. It's a damp, dreary day here in December. There's not a lot growing out there today, but I can rest assure you it won't be long till the days get longer, the soils will start warming up and things will start moving again. So we should be planning the applications around the growing crop, whether that be grass or whether that be winter cereals. Now, I have a lot of winter cereals in the ground 
all of my winter series will receive slurry. And again, that's not common practice. But why not use this resource bank you've got there? But I can't go into a growing crop of winter cereals when the ground conditions are quite soft and wet. We have to be mindful and choose and plan accordingly and, 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 and do that So you know, and, and, and then do the application. So it's back to managing and knowing the weather, it's there, handling what you've got in store, and then where's the growing crop that can utilise that, like if you know what I'm saying. But ideally, in, a, in an ideal world, we should be applying, starting to apply grass, grassland, I would say late February, certainly here in the southwest, uh, when the soils are warming up. And, and, and then moving on to your, your growing cereal crops. And then if you put spring crops in, then obviously they're, they're a bit later. So you can spread your window of application. Does that make sense, Alex, the way I'm trying to describe that? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Hugh, I, I spoke recently with, with SEPA's Stephen Field about wet weather contingency planning, and, and that will be included as part of this, this ongoing series. One of the things that we discussed was uh, was slurry storage, and, and you touched on it there. With regards to to water um, and water entering the store, where do you sit on that that issue? Because there will be some farmers out there that think I need water in the store to maintain a good consistency when it comes to applying slurry to to land, and alternatively, you'll have farmers saying that you know, the less water they can accumulate, the better, the more storage that they will have over periods of, of prolonged poorer weather. Yeah. I, all, all very key factors you have to be mindful of, Alex, in, in, in that there. And, and Stephen, Stephen is, knowing Stephen is more uh, certainly familiar with the scenarios around the, 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 the south of Scotland in, in that aspect. But I would have said, first of all, water, be it clean water, be it roof water, well, it goes without saying we should make sure our, well, all our rainwater goods on our buildings are fit for purpose and they can take clean water away. And that doesn't end up into the foul system of the slurry because that's adding more that you're going to have to store. But it's inevitable yardage area where cows are, man are walking over and such likes, then that is defined as dirty water. So, again, that should be... a uh, being managed as such and, 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 and being stored and added to it. In one of the areas where we've looked at uh, with, uh, a, I'm going to say a number of years ago now through SEC Consultant, but we did look at this of separating a lot of dirty water at source, and that would be parlour washings and, and also runoff from outside yards that, that probably uh, empty uh, uh, silos, clamps and such like which has got a very low end content, but we store that in a separate vessel. We have a, at Crichton, we have a dirty water lagoon and also at our other acre head unit, we have a dirty water tank. And this is where this water goes into. And again, uh, that is dirty water, very low end content. But if I need to, by taking it out at source, Alex, then obviously what's going into my tanks is of a higher dry matter. And if I think it's, too high a dry matter, even mixed up, that it won't go down the umbilical pipe, I can measure water from the dirty water store back into that to make yeah. it of the right consistency. If you don't have that facility, then you just take everything that's coming at you and you have to handle it. And that's when we end up in these, what would I call them, uh, critical situations when farmers have no option but go out when, at the wrong time to spread slurry. Does that make sense? 
Yep, yeah. And it's particularly important for a lot of guys in the Southwest. I'm going to ask you um, in a little bit about uh, what uh, what impact being in an NVZ has on your practices. First of all, can, can I just ask you, you, you manage quite a large team at the Crichton. Would it be fair to say that within the team, Slurry's viewed as an important resource? Is that something that you try and get across to the rest of the, the, the team at the Crichton? Yeah, well, both farms, the teams are. I mean, obviously, uh, when you're dealing with cows, you, you, yes, you, uh, uh, dare I say it, you, you, you see it, you see a lot of slurry because cows, uh, are, they're not domestically trained animals, so they deposit the uh, material anywhere and everywhere, and it has to be handled. But that's uh, the the sharp end. But everyone does know, and they monitor the levels we're at in the stores. They understand. And, and and it's true, probably my sort of mentoring and that whole aspect, but it, it I keep saying to them, and I've said this for a long number of years, Alex, that it is not a waste, it is a resource. And, and you know, it's it's all too familiar to leave a hose running and that creates more problems. One, guys, you need to waken up to this, like, you know, this is where the impact this this, this can have on it, on the situation, like, you know. So all the, all the farm teams are, I would say, very mindful now of how we manage and also of the the requirements, and it's not just about the, the storage and the handling, but it's the times of year when you can spread the weather patterns that you're not allowed to go out when uh, obviously uh, ground conditions are so wet that you know there's standing water there, you know, and stuff like that. There, we we we're all mindful to try and do the best job, and I think that's what the industry needs to be. That we we are seen to be good custodians of 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 the, of the of the of the farming land, i.e., and 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 be mindful of everybody else. Like, and we don't we don't apply slurry at the at the wrong times. Is that is that what kind of look what you're looking for there, Alex? One of the things that I maybe alluded to a little bit earlier on, Hugh, was the idea of nitrate vulnerable zones (NVZs), and uh, I was wondering if you could discuss that a little bit. What kind of impact these NVZs? have on the farming practices, not only at Crichton, but also Barony. Um, and uh, obviously not all the ground that you have is NVZ, but I'm just curious to see what that designation has in terms of impact on your overall management strategy. It made me think, and it's probably converted me, hence why I am passionate about slurry and I don't know how anybody can be passionate about slurry like you know but it's made me think about the 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 value of farm produced nutrients they are on the farm you produced them your animals actually created them why don't you make the best use of them and store this material and apply it at the optimum time now there are some certain guidelines from the NVZ rules and regs about times that you cannot apply. They're called the close periods, and there are also rules and regs that you're only allowed to apply certain amounts over a growing over a period to a growing crop. Now these have all been de determined and defined by uh, by science, and I'm not I'm not here to question that one there at all, uh, uh, Alex. Like, but by storing it and uh, and it makes you think you can apply it at the optimum time. Back to what I said earlier, to the growing crop that can utilize those nutrients. And it's got to be a far more efficient way of growing crops, be it grass, be it cereals, 
or being at the cro a crop that's very close to my heart, which is maize. Now, maize, I, the, the, we apply slurry to maize. I have done it many years ago into, into onto the growing crop, but now we tend to put it onto the onto the soil surface before we plant the seed and, and incorporate that slurry in there. And you're planting that seed into a very nutrient-rich soil. So it's it's that change in mindset, and I think the, there's a lot of countries still has to embrace that, Alex, and that's where NVZ's, it's, it's a very loosely, and that's why I asked you, it's about nitrates, but it's about best practice. And that's where we need to embrace and going forward. And this industry is going to have to deliver for, for a whole other climate reasons now and the environment is best practice. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think one of the key takeaways from this discussion with you, Hugh, we've touched on it a couple of times, is this shift in perception that restrictions are actually opportunities and that we need to, to accept them and, and take them on and, and, and make the best of it. Particularly as we are going into a, a very turbulent time in um, Scotland, as well as the, the larger UK, we don't really know what's entailed in the, the green recovery um, post-COVID, let alone what the implications of Brexit are going to be on the industry. So, yeah, um, I, I, I really like what you're saying. I, I think business resilience is, is really key here um, and that making best use of resources is just common sense, good practice. Yep. Hugh, can I um, ask you, I'll, I'll ask you a couple of uh, quick fire kind of questions now. We, we've kind of come to the end of the, the questions here. Um, in terms of the pieces of kit that uh, were available under the Sustainable Agriculture Capital Grant, um, we mentioned trailing shoes, injectors and dribble bars. Do you have a personal favourite, something that you think works particularly well? I have, and, and unfortunately, mine is not operational at the moment, but uh, it would be a shallow injector. There was, and uh, dare I say it, uh, Alex, uh, if you're very fortunate to be allowed to travel. Many years ago, I was allowed to travel, but unfortunately, COVID has put a restriction on my movements, unlike everybody else's movements. But we don't have to go far across the English Channel into into the Netherlands, and these guys there have been handling slurry uh, and manures far more efficiently than what the United Kingdom has for a number of years, but they would the, 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 the European sector tend to inject, and that is the best way of the lot to actually, if you can get this material into the soil, into the roots of a growing crop, then we will totally uh, sort of reduce the emissions going to the atmosphere. But I have to go back, that takes good management and a very focused team that understands the whole aspect of what you're trying to achieve. But as a next best option, and it, it has to be the, the dribble bar or the trailing shoe are very similar. Uh, they are slightly less uh, uh, costly to operate because you don't have the same the same running cost on, uh, of discs cutting slots in soil and, and, and uh, probably a wee bit easier probably to clean if in the event of a blockage that I mentioned earlier. But it's inevitable we're going to have to go to that. And I'm going to go back to a milk buyer that we sell our milk to. They were very keen earlier this year, during, during the summer, of demonstrating on, a, on another similar podcast of using a shallow injector. Now, shallow injectors are heavy. They're very expensive pieces of kits. But again, they need to take a bit of good degree of management. And But that will reduce that. And that will appease the general public. And I'm sorry, whether we like it or not, they are our consumer. And we need to be working with our customers 
not against them. And there's still an element in this industry yet. We, we do what we do and everybody else does what they do, but we have to work together to make a, a far better climate, environment, and that is the way we are going to have to focus, whether we like it or not, in this post-Brexit era and the, the, the new beginning, hopefully, next year brings, like, if that's the case, Alex. I just, if it's okay, I want to come back on a, a potential issue here, Hugh. It has been mentioned among farmers and contractors here in the southwest of Scotland that injectors, while they're great at getting slurry into the ground, there can be issues with it seeping back up through the earth. Um, and I wondered whether or not you had any experience with this issue and what you thought the potential solutions to that could be. There's a whole raft of things there, Alex, from what you've described there. But again, my only experience or personal experience has been on very favourable land, very sandy, loam-type, free-draining soil. And, and again, the amount of applications. If we go back to the NVZ question there, just to touch on that, there is a limitation on much you can apply in any given application. And uh, obviously, if you're applying a lot of material, then you will reach oversaturation and the material will come up. Uh, and, and not be absorbed into the soil. So you have to be mindful of all these, and that only comes through experience, if, if that's the case. But again, every not every farm's the same in the southwest of Scotland or, or, or whatever area we're, we're making reference to here. There is different soil types, we're all well aware. And obviously the, 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 the one fear from an injector is stones. And uh, yes, I'm very fortunate to, to farm a farm that got very minimal stone content there. But we have to be mindful that not everybody has that luxury. So you have to use the piece of kit that's that suits your farming postcode, if I use that as a, as a, as a terminology. Uh, each farmer knows their own land better than anybody else. So they would have to be mindful of what, they, what they're going to use on that land to, to minimise any damage they're going to create. But But it's getting what's best... And I think we need to move away from, as we started this whole conversation, Alex, away from what we've always done and actually move into something more, it's more efficient, like we know what I'm saying. Okay, Hugh. So we've talked a bit about the importance of applying nutrients in a sensible, sustainable manner. Do you have any advice for any farmers out there that are having trouble with the permeability of their soil? That is to say, they're at risk of leaching some of these nutrients. Obviously, across Scotland, there's a wide range of farms with different conditions. What would you say to people who maybe struggle to keep a hold of the nutrients that are available in slurry? Oh, gosh. Magic wand springs to mind there, Alex, like, but uh, the way you described it, gosh, uh, <laughs> that reminds me as if you're on, on a beach somewhere, like, the way you described it, like, but I don't think that's what you're trying to get to, but. Obviously, very sandy, free-draining soils like that, then I would say we need to get more uh, organic matter into that soil to hold it back. We kind of change the, the whole topography of the, of the land, right? And little mm -hmm. and often approach. Don't just go yeah. in and put on, well, I think 40 cubes probably be in excess, but put on less, you know, uh, and, and go back over again and, and try and do little and often the crop. And manage it to suit the crop. And, and you wouldn't go in and apply loads of chemical fertilizer in one drop. You'd do. You'd, you'd be more mindful to be putting little and often approach. Why don't we take that, adapt that practice with these nutrients that we're talking about, Alex? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, that's that's perfect to you. 
Hugh, towards the end of every podcast, I always ask the speakers who come on whether or not they want to highlight some good practice that they're seeing within the industry right now. So with regards to slurry, is there anything that you want to spotlight or anything that you think we should be paying more attention to? Yes, I am going to say, and I said it earlier, test it, analyze it, measure it, manage it. And Hugh's favorite saying is, no, what you hear is what you do with what you hear. And hopefully the Scots in the audience that's listening to this podcast will know what I'm getting at there, there Alex. What we have there is what you, you, you've got, make the most of it, and you'll benefit completely from that. Fantastic. Hugh McClement for the Farm Advisory Service, thanks for joining us. Thank you.